0: Hello, good morning, morning to all. I bring you greetings from Grace West. My name is Jeff, if I haven't met you. Um, I'm on the pastoral staff of Grace Toronto, but I spend most of my time in the West End. And um, However, downtown was my home church long before Grace West existed, and I'm really happy to, to be back here today with all of you. Uh, we're going to hear this morning from the Gospel of Luke. Um, as Ryan mentioned earlier, We've been in 2 Corinthians for a long season, and as Easter is coming, uh, we're going to prepare for that Easter weekend uh, by, by looking at Jesus Christ, by looking straight at the Lord Jesus, right from the Gospel of Luke. And so to read our scripture passage, uh, I'd like to invite David.
1: Our reading today is from Luke fifteen, eleven to 32. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf. You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. I want to invite you to imagine the scene. The father is standing on the porch of his home, and he's looking out at the horizon there's not a day goes by where he doesn't stand in that spot and watch and wait. And day by day, it's an empty horizon and a long road. The father has a wound in his heart because he raised his sons. He cared for them. He taught them how to walk. He taught them how to work. He taught them from boyhood how to be, how to be men. He taught them about right conduct and the fear of God. And this family used to be a respectable family in the small town. But the younger one threw it all away. He took his inheritance, sold the land, and left town where no one knew. Just he went far the only thing that he left behind was shame on the family, on the whole family. That was a long time ago. But the father's standing on the porch again, watching and waiting, the empty road. And suddenly, it's not an empty road on this day, suddenly. There's a, there's a man walking, disheveled and dirty. And the father strains his eyes to see who it is. His curiosity turns to disbelief. His heart starts pounding in his chest. And before even thinking, he finds himself running, running to this young man. And what does he feel? What are the emotions in his heart in this moment? Anger? toward this young man who took the possessions, shamed the family, wasted everything. He actually feels joy <laughs> and it's, it's your joy when you're in the arrivals section at Pearson Airport and you're waiting and you're waiting and then finally after years and what do you do? You run, <laughs> you run. And you, and you embrace and, you, and you, you, you cry and you laugh and that's what the father does. My son, my son, I know my son. That is my son and he runs, he's home. My son is home. Friends, this is a picture of the love of God, the love of the father. It is a love that moves towards the ashamed person, runs toward them. Do you see Jesus is showing you here the heart of God, the heart of God for the ashamed, for the broken person. It was about a year ago that Grace Toronto held Mercy Week, and there were a series of evenings with guest speakers, and on one evening, uh, we got to hear from the executive director of an organization called New Life Prison Ministries. And we learned about how there, there's roughly 40,000 incarcerated people across Canada. We learned that, that two of the most common emotions of, of people who come into the penitential system are, are these, fear and shame. And we learned about how for thousands of people, every year, New Life Ministry is bringing the hope of the gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ, to people in that situation with those emotions. The YouTube channel has a number of testimonies, and I'd like to share with you just one of them from a woman named Kim. In 2014, she was sentenced to two years for fraud and she served her time at the Grand Valley Institute for Women in Kitchener. She was lonely and scared. And at that time, she came across uh, the first study by New Life Prison Ministry, it's called Mending Hearts. And she began to go through these study by study, week by week. She started to learn more about the Bible, more about God, more about Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. She said, These were things that I, that I had some knowledge of, but no working knowledge. They were, they were things I just learned when I was a child. And she says, I was being encouraged. I had a counselor. His name was Bill. One thing I had repeatedly said through the first dozen studies was that I was working towards forgiveness from God. Bill finally wrote me a letter that said, God already forgave you. You don't have to work for His forgiveness. And who are you to question that He has forgiven you? You've already, you've already been forgiven. Now These are her words, how she received that. This for me was a huge thing. I felt empowered. I felt wonderful. I felt happy that that was the case and not something I ever thought of before. I always thought I had to work towards getting forgiveness from God. Now there are some of you here today, you've never been to prison, Uh, you've never gone to a far country and wasted all your money, but you know what it's like to live with shame. There is a vicious cycle. It starts when, when some distress comes into your life. And the way that you manage that distress, the way you deal with it, is to reach for something. Call it an agent. That that agent promises a sense of being in control. It promises a sense of joy, a sense of transcendence. You feel a sense of freedom, and so you you chase after it, you do that thing, whatever it is. And three things follow. The first is the tolerance effect. Today it gives you a hit, but tomorrow your tolerance has grown, so you actually need a bigger hit to feel the same effects. And you take more and more. The second effect is denial. You say to yourself that your actions are are quite normal, uh, perfectly reasonable. The third effect then is the the vicious cycle. And that is when the habit itself causes distress and you deal with that distress by by feeding the habit more. And it goes on deeper and deeper into a cycle of distress and isolation and shame. For some people, the vicious cycle uh, leads them into prison. But for most, For most, it it goes on largely hidden, largely unseen. Uh, And there are some here today who know this, this kind of cycle and this kind of shame from the inside. And I want to ask, what what is the attitude of God towards you? What is the attitude of God? How does God feel? There was another... Another person from New Life Prison Ministry who said this, I was raised in a strict Christian family. What I remember learning about God was that he would punish me for my sins. What about that? Is that the heart of God towards you? I ask. Listen, listen to this. Listen to the word of God now. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Now the son has a whole speech ready, right? He's prepared what he's going to... He has a script that he's going to say. But before... Did you notice this? Before he said anything, before he said even a word of this speech, the father is already running to him. He's already running. Before, before he, the son has said one word, the father embraces him... And he's kissing him, and he's, and he's laughing. And then, even when the son begins this scripted speech, the father is not even really hearing it. He interrupts him. He says, quick, bring the best robe. Bring, bring, bring the ring, bring the sandals, make a feast. My son is home. My son is home. Now, here's the first application, then, um, and it's, it's for you who carry shame, whatever you've done or whatever you've failed to do. If you find yourself thinking, I'm bad and God is mad and I'm done for. If you, if you picture in your mind's eye like God on, 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 on the porch with his arms folded with a, an anger, a face of anger upon him, to you, to you I say, that Jesus Christ knows the Father better than you do. He does. And listen, listen to Jesus. Let him change your mindset about the Father. The attitude of the Father toward you is compassion, compassion. Now here's the, the big idea of the first point I'm giving you my sermon points at the end of each one. Here's, Here's the big idea. God moves towards the ashamed person, so you receive his welcome. God moves towards the ashamed, so receive his welcome. The second point then. The scene shifts to the older son. He's in the field working, of course. Of course, that's where he is. Now he hears there's a party going on and he's, he feels curious and then he hears the reason why and he fe- he's ticked and he's, then he sees the father coming out to him. Listen, he says to his father, he says, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your commands and you, you never even gave me Even a young goat, but this son of yours, this son son of yours, who wasted your property with prostitutes, he comes home and you kill the fattened calf for him. He's seething, and he blasts his father with this hot anger. And why, we should ask, why, why so angry? Why so angry? Well, the answer to that is not just the money, the expense, the big party. Uh, The answer is deep in the heart, as we'll see. I took music classes through high school, and I'm sorry if you're a music teacher. My wife is a music teacher. I confess that my favorite classes were the ones where the, the teacher put on a movie. As a result, I've watched the movie Amadeus many times. Many and it's it's about the life of Mozart. If you haven't seen it, Um, but the story is told through the perspective of Antonio Salieri, who maybe you've never heard of. Um, He was a contemporary of Mozart and also a composer. As a as a boy, Salieri prayed this prayer. Listen, he said this to God, Lord, make me a great composer. Let me celebrate your glory through music and be celebrated myself. Make me famous throughout the world, dear God. Make me immortal. After I die, let people speak my name forever with love for what I wrote. In return, I vow I will give you my chastity, my industry, my deepest humility every hour of my life, and I will help my fellow man all I can. Amen and amen. That's his vow. He begins his career under that vow, and he works very hard. He's, he's diligent. He's disciplined in his career and life, and, and things are going along well. Uh, he, he, he sees God keeping his side of the, of the deal there. Then Mozart appears on the scene. And what's obvious to Salieri, what's obvious to everyone, is that God has gifted Mozart with musical genius. And Mozart's middle name is Amadeus. It means beloved by God. Now, at the same time, Salieri sees a man who is crude and womanizing and self-indulgent, which sends Salieri on a, a crisis of faith, in fact. Listen to what he says. It was incomprehensible. Here I was denying my natural lust in order to deserve God's gift, and there was Mozart, indulging his in all directions, even though engaged to be married, and no rebuke at all. Finally, Salieri says this to God. From now on, We are enemies, you and I. Now this is the way of the older brother. You toe the line. You obey. You keep the rules. And then you get public honor. You get the inheritance. It's a formula. You put good into life and you get back good in equal measure. What you put in comes back to you. Right? That's the formula. Now this older son sees his brother put bad things into life. Put put irresponsible, reckless, rebellious things into life. And what does his brother get? In the end, he sees his brother come home and get celebrated. And 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 honor and recognition and, and, and more than him more than him, and he's furious. And here you see how vulnerable it is to live in this formula. You put in good into life, and good comes back to you. It's vulnerable, because what happens when God does not hold up the bargain? What happens when when, when someone gets ahead of you What happens when someone else gets that thing that you want? Bitter disappointment. And some of you today are in this vulnerable state. You are committed to a moral formula. That is, you put in good things and God and the universe will, will give you back good things in equal measure. That must happen, that's the formula. And here's the problem with that formula. Either that approach to life will crash against the rocks when a crisis comes, or it will slowly sink under the weight of a thousand disappointments. Hope fails, and then bitterness, which is what happens De Salieri in the movie. Now, sadly, in the movie, God is silent and doesn't speak a word. But in Jesus' parable, you, you see the heart of God toward the self righteous person. Do you know how God feels towards self righteous people? He loves them. He loves them. Look, the father moves toward his older son. He leaves the party. He comes out to the field. (laughs) He leans into the wind against his son's anger toward him. And he's urging him to come join, urging him. He says, my son, you've always been with me. All that I have is yours. Listen, we have to celebrate. We have to. Don't stay away. Come join us. Come. Do not stay away. He's pleading with him, urging him. Now here's the big idea of the second point. God moves towards the self-righteous, so join the party. You join the party. God moves toward the self-righteous, so join the party. Now if you're here today, if you're listening, and you're considering the Christian faith, you need to know that Christian faith, that that, that that becoming Christian is not about becoming a moral person. It's not about signing up to a, a moral program or regimen. Christian faith has ethical teaching, it sure does, but that's not at the heart. Christian faith has religious practices and habits, but those are not at the heart. They're not. At the heart of things, to come into the Christian faith is to join the party in this parable, okay? The father says, it's fitting to celebrate and be glad. It's fitting. The apostle Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The Psalms say, let them praise his name with dancing. Make music to him with tambourine and harp. And why why is that? Now why why the celebration? It's because when you come to the Father with no claim, when and when you see inside your own heart in the lives of these two brothers, when you, when you confess selfish indulgence, like the younger brother, when you confess selfish moralism like the older brother, when, when, you, when you see yourself trapped in self-interest, trapped, and you simply cast yourself on the Father's mercy, what you find next is the robe on your shoulders and the ring on your finger, the family ring, and the shoes on your feet. And you can sing with the psalm writer, you have clothed me with garments of salvation. The joy of forgiveness is yours. It's yours because you have a perfect older brother. And he's not a character in this parable because he's the one telling the story, in fact. You've heard today the elder brother arguing with his father. But Jesus said about himself, I always do the things that please the Father, always. The elder brother had no compassion, but Jesus has compassion on the ashamed person. He has compassion on the self-righteous person. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The elder brother, if it were up to him, he wouldn't spend a dime on his brother's party. But Jesus came with an open heart, with a generous heart. And you see that nowhere more clearly than on the cross. It's an interesting footnote to this passage. In the law of Israel, in the Torah, there was instruction about a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him. Now, this is picturing a very severe case of rebellion. And in in the law of Israel, that was an egregious offense, not just against the parents, against the whole community. And the penalty for that offense was death. There's there's no evidence that we have that this law was actually applied or used, Uh, but it's on the books. It's there in Deuteronomy chapter 21. Now, the elder brother would demand justice, punishment. He can't come back into the family. But Jesus comes with grace and truth. And that is the case because Jesus himself takes the full punishment of the law upon the cross. He dies the death of a sinful man, a rebellious son. And on the third day, he rose to life again. And from that day to this day, he gives grace and truth to everyone who looks to him in faith. And he gives grace and truth to you if you are someone carrying shame today, receive his welcome. You cannot work your way back into the family. No, you come to him and the work's already done. Jesus did it. He did it for you. Whatever you've done will never, never disqualify you. Likewise, whatever, whatever good thing you've done, that will never earn your place. It will not. Do not slave away in the field day after day, trying to earn that place, trying to earn that recognition, that approval, that status. Not while there's a party going on. No, you join the party. You join the party. Now how? How do you how do you join the party? How do you receive God's welcome? Let's let's be practical. How does that happen? In a word, community, community. There is something that happens when we get together face to face. When we talk and meet on on Sunday mornings in our homes over coffee, we've been in a pandemic, right? We've spent lots of time in our homes with the doors shut. Um, Some of us have a hard time connecting Some of us don't want to connect. My word to you is this, be in community. Be in community. Be with people who can get to know you and encourage you, and you can encourage them. And when you're at your lowest point, with shame, with anger, you need a friend. Do not isolate yourself. Now, if you're if you're here today, um, in person here today, or if you're tuning in at home, um, get back in the habit of coming here in person on Sundays. Right, this is perfect timing. You've you've heard the announcement earlier today that that Ryan shared with us. Grace Toronto is next Sunday, going back to two services. Perfect timing, marvelous. A time to return to this habit. Come back to worship in person. Be with the people of God where they gather. Be an encouragement to others. Let them encourage you. And let's together join the party and receive the Father's welcome. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Our Father, we praise you for your marvelous love, so beautifully pictured to us in this parable. We thank you, Father, that you see us and that you know us. You know our, our desperate need for grace, our, our great need to see your true character shown to us. Help us, O oh Lord, help us lay this to heart and to understand who you are and your love for us. And may we come to you freely, not kept away by anything, not earning anything, but freely received and welcomed. Instill in our hearts, O God, the celebration that is in your heart. And may we know you and love you and live for your glory. Amen. We have at this time some Q&A, and I'm going to be helped in this by... Ryan, who I believe has the phone, and can the phone, uh, yes. <laughs> direct some questions toward me. Okay,
2: we do have a few questions. First one for you, Jeff. How can I identify pride that resides in my confession of sin? The son was ready to be a servant. Sometimes I find that I want to make it up to God in some way as well. How can I identify pride that resides in my confession of sin? The son was ready to be a servant. Sometimes I find that I want to make it up to God in some way as well.
0: Mm. How can I identify pride in my confession of sin? Uh Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, happily it does not And the last, it does not finally and essentially depend upon you to identify what is not right in, in your life or in your, in your confession, in your, in, in your prayer. Um, we, we live in a faith that is, that is not alone. I, I was talking about community towards the end, and what you see is these these two sons are, are, are both, are both in, invited to community. One receives the invitation, the other one doesn't. Um, and it's in community where we find that we are no longer alone to, to, to identify and to, to x-ray our hearts and to, and to fix ourselves so what is not right. But we, we have others around us who can, over time, come to know us well uh, we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts to reveal things to us. And so you hear in, um, I believe it's Psalm 19, search me, O God, and know my heart, and see if there is, oh no, now I'm mis- misquoting it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. That's how it begins. <laughs> um, there, there are these prayers a number of times. You hear this kind of language in the Psalms, and, and, and even to know our hearts, Even in that, uh, we are utterly dependent upon the Lord to reveal to us and and, and to help us and to change us. Those are, yeah, thank you for the question, yeah. Great. Um, Questions are rolling
2: in now. Uh, Let's see here. What good is being part of God's family if it can't protect me from
0: crises or suffering? What good is God's being part of God's family if it cannot protect me from crises and suffering? Mm-hmm. It sounds um, now I can say some things in response to this question, but I I, I greatly doubt whether it would be satisfactory because I I, I think it's a kind of question that um, would uh, that there's there's I, f- I think I have a sense, a, a long backstory to this question um, of a very personal nature. Um, can you re- read it once more, Ryan? Mm-hmm, yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: What good is being part of God's family if it can't protect me from crises or suffering?
0: It is, uh, okay, here's a few thoughts. Um, The Lord nowhere uh, promises that you will not suffer. When you become a Christian, you receive a a robe of righteousness. You, you, You receive that you do not receive a bulletproof vest, okay? You receive a robe of righteousness and with that, you receive a promise that you can rejoice in suffering. When you look at um, the the beginning of Romans chapter 5, when you look at uh, James chapter 1 in the New Testament, there's this call to um, even, now you don't, you don't quote this in someone's face who's, who's like weeping, talking to you, right? You don't, we, we, we mourn with those who mourn. Of course we do, of course we do. But this is true and we need to know it, that our calling as Christians is to consider it joy brothers and sisters when you go through trials of various kinds because the testing the testing, of your faith produces steadfastness produces character, endurance and let st- steadfastness have its full effect that we may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing
2: thanks Jeff uh, maybe one final one um, I think this is good because I think you talked a lot about um, joining the party and and being in community. So this person asks, uh, what do you do about Christian communities that feel shallow? Say it it again. What do you do about Christian communities that feel shallow?
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you do if you find that your Christian community is not a perfect one? Um, Do you go looking for a perfect one? I, I don't mean to be glib. I'm sorry. I, you. When you come into a church community, you're going to notice things, okay? You're going to notice things that are, that are not, well, not, not, not just things that, that are not to your taste or things that you don't, you don't love, but things that are not in, in fitting with the gospel, really. Um, and it's likely that the kind of things you notice are, are areas of personal strength for you, um, even areas of gifting for you. And so, what do you what do you do? What do you do when, when you're a very um, warm person, a social person? You come into a church that feels kind of drafty, kind of cold, kind of lacking. Um, what do you do? Well, you be yourself in that place and be who God made you to be, and and with and with your the gifts the Lord has given you and with, with dependence upon him, you, you be a, an, an agent of, of change and growth in that community. Um, you invest yourself in that community and give yourself and, and love the people around you uh, because it's likely that they need you <laughs> and would never, would maybe never say that to you, but when you, when you see a lack in your own gifts, can, can fill it, do that thing, do that.
2: OK. Yeah, that's great, Jeff. Thanks. Um, there are a few other questions, and maybe um, you can answer them either on the phone, or they can email you
0: at, um, yeah. at your email. JEFF, Jeff at gracetoronto.ca. At yeah, I'd, I'd be very glad to hear from you. Thank
2: you. Great. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, great.